Well, it is so good to be here. Do you have me? Good. As I start, if I could get two or three volunteers, I have lesson notes for you all. If we could get everybody one handout, that would be great. And uh, that way, if you get bored, you've got something to draw on and write on and all that good stuff. But it is an honor to be back at Hoover again, uh, to renew some friendships, to visit with some folks that I haven't seen in a while. And... um, Enjoyed supper with the Rayburns tonight and very much appreciated that. But good things are happening. You all have been responsible for helping make some of those happen with us at Heritage. Uh, Anytime I show up at a congregation, I do like to say thank you. This church through the years has been involved in helping us prepare preachers and Bible teachers and missionaries. And so for that, I say thank you. You're a partner for life if you've been involved, and so we thank you for that. And we've been working hard. We've had 64 students earn degrees in the last three years. Uh, Bill Rayburn's actually one of those. He came in and worked on a Master of Ministry with us, had some classes with him, and we've been working very hard to keep our students out of debt. Uh, We had about 100 students this past spring, and total borrowing by our student body this past spring was just $3,000. And so I mentioned that if you know of somebody who's thinking about preaching our ministry, and especially if it's a case where finances are an issue, uh, it's a really, really good time to have them check out what's going on at HCU in Florence. And so very much appreciate that. Sometimes people come up and they ask us, how are you doing? And we may say fine, and we may say good. And sometimes we will respond by saying, I am blessed. You ever respond that way? I'm thankful for tonight's topic. The theme, it's all about him, and that should be a daily thought process with us. But the lesson titled tonight, he is the one who will bless the world. And, And obviously, the side of the cross that we live on, he is the one who has blessed the world. I want to begin tonight in Ephesians chapter 1, and I hope you've got a Bible or a device And I hope you're open to what I call Bible gymnastics because rather than taking just one place in the text and being there all night, because of what we're looking at, we actually are going to notice a number of of passages of Scripture. And so we will be here and there. But it's amazing that God's plan for blessing the world, it predated the world. And I think we need to be reminded of that. And You get a flavor of it in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, where the Bible says, this is Paul writing to Christians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved or in Christ. And so God had this plan for us that predated the world. And so we want to go back tonight to the Old Testament. You may recall after creation, man became very corrupt very early on. And so you could make the case that God sort of did a reboot on the creation, uh, that great flood, and uh, it kind of started everything over. 
And then following that flood, you had a very united group of people who were determined that they were going to build a tower into the heavens. And in one of the most powerful passages in Scripture, God acknowledged that when a group of people come together with a single purpose, they are just about unstoppable. And so at the Tower of Babel, he scattered the people. He confused the languages. And then following that, and some, th some time passes, but in Genesis chapter 12, we meet a guy named Abram. And, and we've studied this promise made to Abram since we were very young. Uh, but in chapter 12 of Genesis, beginning in verse 1, this is what we find in Scripture. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, and so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a pretty big ask. How many of us are close to family? I live in North Alabama because my wife, years ago, we're in Atlanta, and she started saying, you know, it really would be nice to move back so that we were closer to family, and so we moved back to Northwest Alabama. It really changed my future. It got me into ministry, and I'm thankful for it, but it all started with the idea we didn't want to move away from family. We wanted to move closer. But here in the text, you've got God saying, leave your country, Leave your family, leave everything that's familiar, and I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. It's a, it's a promise that required faith. Because God is promising something that Abram's not going to live to see. He's not going to see all of this fulfilled. God is promising Abram he'll be a blessing to every family, to everyone. And Abram's looking at his wife thinking, well, I don't even have, I have no one right now as an heir. I don't even have a son. How in the world will I ever be a blessing to everyone? So it's a promise that required faith on Abraham's part. And then it's also a promise that required action. The action word in, in chapter 12, verse 1 is go. And when you get to chapter 12, verse 4, the first three words are, so Abram went. And I don't know. I don't know if I'd have that kind of faith. I don't know if you'd have that kind of faith. But, but God says, go. So Abraham says he went. A blessing. You'll be a blessing. And a, you can define words a lot of ways. But one of the most simple definitions for the word blessing is a blessing is a gift from God. And that's kind of the definition I want us to have in mind tonight as we study. And, and for a few minutes, I want us to think, again, we're on the side of the cross where the blessing, we've received that, but we want to consider what the implications of that are for us in 2017. And so we live in a world that needed a blessing. People in the world today still need to be blessed. And, and the reason for that is... Because there is sin, and, I, and I've got to see how this is going to work with the, there it comes. Because of sin, you remember Romans chapter 3 verse 23, and as I said, we're going to notice a number of passages of scripture, but the Bible says, Paul writing to the church at Rome, for all have sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God, and it's, 
the word all, it's a three-letter word. It's a, it's a small world word, but it's a word that has huge implications. Because you're in that verse, and I am in that verse. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then uh, you think about Romans chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul is going back and he's quoting from Psalm 14, and he says, there is none righteous, not even one. And so there is this, the reason that the world needs a blessing is because of sin. But then we also understand that sin, uh, it required a payment to be made. It required a death payment. I like what Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says. Uh, Paul writes, for while we were still helpless, before we'd been blessed, before we had taken advantage of the blessing that's been offered, while we were still helpless. In, in other words, if I'm helpless, there's nothing I can do on my own to fix my problem. And that's, that's what Paul's trying to drive home. You, without Jesus, without this blessing, you're helpless. At the right time, Christ died for us. And then he says in verse 12 of that chapter, Therefore, just as... Through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. It became this thing where we've all got this problem that's going to require our lives of us. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the first part of the verse says, For the wages of sin is death. Without the blessing that we're thinking about tonight, the only thing I can earn on my own on my very best day is death. And so because of that, a gift from God is desperately needed. The other thing that we think about here is the idea that sin separates people from God. In fact, without this blessing, the, the blessing that's originally promised to Abram, eternal separation, it is my only option without this blessing. And, and being separated from God, if we don't see that as an, as, as the, for what it is... You remember Isaiah chapter 59, the first couple of verses. The Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. We began in Ephesians tonight. And if you think about what goes on in Ephesians chapter 1, it's all of this discussion about everything you want is found in Christ. Every blessing, every good thing in Christ is where all of those things are found. But then in chapter 2 of Ephesians, uh, Paul begins to remind the Gentiles of where they were prior to being, being in Christ. And in chapter 2 of verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, or, and strangers to the uh, covenants of promise having no hope and without Christ in the world. We have bad days, but we still have hope. And he's reminding those Gentiles, there was a point where your sin, you didn't have access to this, you had no hope. And see, I get concerned sometimes as we think about life today, I wonder sometimes if we don't see separation from God as the big deal that it really is. You know, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm not really lost if I haven't surrendered to God. Maybe the house really isn't on fire. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty good person most of the time. I don't make a lot of enemies. 
God surely couldn't be that mean that just because I haven't surrendered to him in his way that, that, that I would be lost or separated from him forever. And if God does punish those who sin, will, will the punishment really last forever? We have a big hard time with the word forever, don't we? Because do we deal with anything that's forever, day to day? For us, everything has a beginning and everything has an end. We've arrived at Bible study tonight at, at, at 7 o'clock and by 8 o'clock, and maybe a little bit before if we're lucky, I'll be done. You know, everything has a beginning and everything has an end. But then you come to this, this, this thing with God and God says, no, being with me in, in heaven, it is forever. But being away from me, separated from me, being in hell, that's forever as well. And, and our minds just don't wrap around that because we don't understand forever. And so people then also ask the question, well, is hell even a real place? It's interesting to me, a few years ago, Francis Chan, whose audience typically are people who are trying to follow Jesus, people that read him are, are what we might say people they're trying to do right. And Francis Chan writes a book called Erasing Hell. Some of you may have read that. It's an excellent primer. If you want every scripture on hell in one little place, it's a great place to have it all in one spot. But he writes this book, he feels compelled to write this book to explain that yes, hell is real, and yes, God has promised that destination for people who choose not to surrender to him, and, and it's forever. And it's interesting to me that he felt like, I need to write this book. And he was actually writing it because there was some teaching out there that said, well, no, it's not really real, it's not really forever. And so, why, you know, the world needed a blessing. You needed a blessing. I needed a blessing. And, it, and it's because of my sin. My sin placed me in a, in, a, in a position to need to be blessed. And yours did as well. And so then you begin to think about Jesus. The only one who could bless the world. Jesus, in one sense, sometimes, and we'll notice a verse where Jesus is referred to as our advocate. He he goes in, and, and, and it's almost a legal term that's used in Scripture. And in a very real sense, Jesus goes in, and, and part of his blessing is he solves a legal problem for us that we could not solve on our own. I believe it was John MacArthur that referred to Jesus as the divine defense attorney. And so the question I want to explore for just a moment is this, why him? You know, why is he the only one who could step in and bless the world? Why did it have to be him? Why would he be the only way? Well, the first thing you've got to think about is his righteousness. Notice 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing uh, these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's important. You think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, thinking about Jesus as the righteous one. The Bible there says, He made Him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Can you imagine living however many years you've lived so far and never having committed a sin? Never a bad action, never a sinful thought, 
I mean, it is hard to fathom, but, but that's Jesus. That is the light. Him who knew no sin made him to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The way we could be blessed is by allowing Jesus to be sin in our place. That's a blessing. Notice how the Hebrew writer put, puts it in Hebrews chapter 7. And we want to notice Hebrews 7, and I want to begin in, in verse 26. We're actually going to notice a couple of uh, passages out of Hebrews. 26 says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, this is describing Jesus, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for, and here comes our word again, once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints um, men as high priests who, um, I'm going to have to get my glasses out. Not enough light. All right. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. See, Jesus in blessing us becomes our substitute. He stands in, he stood in for us so that he died so that we didn't have to. Sometimes when you're watching a show, you've got a high paid actor and there's, a, there's an action scene... High-paid actor is not going to act in that action scene. Why? They're paying him a lot of money. They don't want to see the high-paid actor hurt. And so you get somebody to stand in. You get a stuntman. And one of the fun things you can sometimes do with Netflix and DVRs and stuff like that today, you're watching the show, you can stop it during the action scene, and you can see plainly that that's not the actor you've been watching. You can see plainly that that's a, a stunt double. And sometimes those guys actually get hurt. Well... Jesus knew going in that standing in was going to cost him his life. It wasn't something where he was going to... It would cost him his life. And he did that so that promise made to Abraham could be fulfilled. And his death payment, the death payment that Jesus made, it's one that covers past, covers present, covers future. And so through the work of Jesus, our, our fellowship with God, it's first restored... And it's then maintained. Uh, this text in 1 John chapter 2, it uses a big fancy term in uh, verse 2. It uses the word propitiation. It says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also uh, of those for the whole world. Well, in 2017, that's not a word that we walk around saying. It probably did not grace your lips today. And if it did, people probably looked at you funny, or you were in a... Uh, a theological discussion with somebody. That's just not a word we use a lot. But when we think about that big word, we think in terms of appeasement. We think in terms of making amends. Extra-biblical Greek literature, Greek Old Testament constructs this definition, a sacrifice given to placate someone who is angry. He is the sacrifice that placated an angry God. I said we'd read more from Hebrews. Notice Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. 
And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for, and there's our word again, once for all, having obtained eternal, there's a forever term, redemption. I love verse 12 because you're in verse 12 and I'm in verse 12. He did that for you and he did that for me. He's our high priest. And see, his sacrifice, it was first made for the Jews. That text that we began with in Genesis chapter 12, that, that text was used by others in the New Testament as they were trying to teach about the idea that in Jesus, these things that were being promised to Abraham, they are being fulfilled. Notice Peter in Acts chapter 3. He's preaching. He's preaching to a group of Jews. It's uh, his second sermon, I guess you would say. And in verse 25, near the end of this, this is what the Bible says. Peter speaking... It is you, talking about Jews, who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. See, that's not a message that all the Jews were embracing because they didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe he was the one. And Peter's trying to explain, no, he's the one that's been promised. He calls him the servant. And his service is he gives up his life so that you can be turned from your evil ways. And so this promise, it was first for the Jews. But I also like the second part of it because it was also for those of us who would be Gentiles. See, Genesis 12, verse 3, where we began, the promise to Abraham was... All families of the earth will be blessed. And, and yes, Israel was God's chosen nation, God's chosen people. But Israel was not all families of the earth. And so this blessing needed to extend further. And so in Galatians chapter 3, Paul explains how this blessing has extended to those who are Gentiles. In Galatians 3 verse 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. That's good news. That's the gospel. All nations to be blessed. And then drop down to verse 33, or 13. Christ redeeming us, or redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's good news. Good news for you, good news for me. And the other thing we want to mention here before we move into the final part of our message tonight, the blessing is one that's ongoing. And this may be, it may well be one of the most amazing things that the blessing Jesus provides does for us. Think about what you read in 1 John chapter 1 and be mindful of the audience here in 1 John. Uh, John is trying to get the message across to Christians. Well, notice chapter 5 verse 13. This is kind of a theme for his whole letter. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the message that John's trying to get, in, uh, get his audience comfortable with. Well, in the first part of the letter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, I love this. 
says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, one of the frustrations of living with this blessing is that we're still human. Think about it this way. You know, how long has it been since you last committed a sin? Either an action, a thought, because sometimes we're haunted by things we've done. Even today, we're haunted by things we've thought. We're, we're haunted by our desires. And, and it's frustrating because we know what Romans 6 teaches. It teaches that, hey, I'm surrendering my life to Christ. And, and as I'm baptized into him, it's the old man of sin dying so that I can be raised to walk in newness of life. And so now everything's supposed to work out okay. And yet we're still sometimes haunted we're still sometimes troubled. And, and Paul was as well. Romans 7, he talked about this battle that he fights within himself where in my mind I know how I ought to live and then I look at my body and I look at what I've done and I've gone and done the things I knew not to do. So if Paul can live through this frustration, we're all going to. And so we do sin. And the beauty of 1 John chapter 1 is this idea that as we walk in the light and as we continue to try to do right, and as we continue to try to be the people that he needs us to be, this blessing that God has provided for us, it's an ongoing blessing. The blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from sin. What a blessing it is to be a Christian. But here's where I want to finish up tonight. I took you through a bunch of things you already know. And that's what Bible study is often about, being reminded so we don't forget we know we've been blessed. We know what Jesus has done for us. But the real question is, the big place we want to finish tonight is, you know, what are we going to do with this blessing? We've taken advantage of it. Most of us in the room are Christians. And so what will we do with it? Well, will we eventually turn away from him? Jesus dealt with that in his ministry. In John chapter 6, he's been teaching. He delivers some heavy teaching. And verse 66 of that chapter says, some were not going to walk with him. Disciples, they weren't going to walk with him anymore because of the teaching. Hebrews chapter 2, the first three verses, there's this reminder there about we, we need to pay attention to the things we've learned lest we drift away from what we've been taught. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 don't fall away. And, and then the way we don't fall away is we encourage one another. We help one another stay faithful. See, drifting and falling, those things can occur when we turn our attention away from our blessing to other things. My work becomes more important than my blessing. My playtime becomes more important than my blessing. My, my kids' activities become more important than my blessing. 
pleasing a person becomes more important than pleasing the one who gave up everything to bless me. We run the risk of turning away. And see, sometimes we, we see this happen in life and it frustrates us. You ever watch some parents bend over backwards, turn themselves inside out, attempting to bless one of their children, maybe sacrificing money, sacrificing maybe years from their lives, and then you watch the child reject it all? And, and sometimes you see that happening, and it, it's frustrating. It may even make us angry. And as a child of God, as one who has surrendered my life to Christ, I've got to make sure I'm not that child spiritually, that Jesus does all of this for me, and then I, I turn around and reject it when life gets tough. Well, I trample him underfoot. The book of Hebrews carries this big theme with it helping us understand that Jesus, our blessing, is doing this amazing thing. He ministers on our behalf in a heavenly setting in the presence of God. He is in the presence of God on our behalf, pleading our case. That amazes me. It's hard to even imagine. It's hard to envision. But that's what Jesus is doing. And so Hebrews is this great summary of the way we've been blessed. But there's something said in Hebrews chapter 10 that needs to have our, we, we must give our attention to. In verse 26, the Hebrew writer says this. He says, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a, a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, you Jews know that if you trample on the old law, if you trample on the law of Moses, you're going to deserve to die from that. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? We all understand there's something highly disturbing about purposefully trampling on another human being. Even when we're children and we're first taken into a graveyard, a cemetery, we're taught that there's a certain way you walk through the cemetery to kind of show respect for the deceased. You, 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 don't, even, you don't even trample on a grave. Those of you who are football fans may remember a number of years ago, there was a Tennessee Titan at the time. His name was Albert Hainsworth, a defensive lineman. Something happened on a play that made him mad. He ripped off the helmet of the guy, the center on the other team, and purposely stomped him in the head. Took 30 stitches to close the guy's head up. At one point, Hainsworth's Wikipedia profile had six paragraphs about this one incident in his life. I mean, it kind of defined who he was. We understand you don't trample on people. And the Hebrew writer is saying, if I've been blessed and I've got Jesus in this heavenly setting representing me in the presence of God and I purposefully go on not trying to live for him, not trying to do right, it's just like laying him out on the ground and trampling over him. And he says, eventually, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Eventually, this, this, this guy, Jesus, who's pleading my case before God, he'll eventually say, I can't help you anymore. What we need to do is to love him. 
and to love him so much that it radically changes the way we live. That is the logical option. And, and that's the way I'm sure many of you are living tonight. Hopefully we all are. John 14, verse 23, Jesus makes this statement. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. If you study everything about Jesus and everything about being a disciple, he, he is, he's blessed us and he reveals that keeping his word, it involves living a life that looks radically different than the way the world lives. And the question is, are we changed enough to be selfless about our blessing? Because I wonder sometimes, and maybe we don't do it on purpose, but I wonder sometimes if we've been guilty of making our blessing all about us. All of our focus as Christians being inward, celebrating salvation, but not necessarily being as concerned as we should be about sharing this blessing with others. I mean, you think about it right now. Our hearts break and our wallets open when we see the physical devastation of people, some that we don't even know, but we see what they're going through, a disaster, it, 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 it breaks our hearts. But do our hearts sufficiently break for us to step out of the church comfort zone and into the lives of folks right in our own neighborhood who have suffered spiritual disaster, who are living in a disaster that they may not even understand, but they don't have that relationship with Jesus yet. And we've got this blessing and they need to know about it too. As, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. As sad as all of the devastation that's on our minds right now is, the flooding in this country, it's not the country's biggest problem. It's not the world's biggest problem. Uh, we talked about it in the devotional. Our world, it's, it's tense and it's uptight and it's uneasy. And we wonder daily what hot button issue is going to set someone off. And the blessing that we receive, it's the answer for fixing the world. And we do that one person at a time, or better said, God does that one person at a time. And so the question becomes, will we share the blessing? I'll leave you with this tonight. On the screen, this is Jonathan Bowen. And this past Sunday morning, Jonathan preached at the Beltline congregation in Decatur. I've been, have had the privilege of filling in for them while they've been in a search that's now coming to an end. But I had to be in Florence Sunday morning. And so Jonathan preached. And Jonathan was there sharing his conversion story, his uh, testimony, if you will. See, Jonathan had made some bad choices. Jonathan had uh, made choices that caused consequences in his life, actually had spent some time in prison. Thankfully, though, while incarcerated... Someone shared the story of the one who's blessed the world with Jonathan. And Jonathan heard the message and Jonathan responded to the message. He obeys the gospel. He died to sin. He's been raised as a new person. And, and he immediately began sharing the blessing. While he was in prison, he's, he's in the prison working with other inmates. And then he gets out and his work continues. Jonathan ended up on my radar because he decided that he wants to give the rest of his life in full-time service. He's enrolled with us as a student. He wants some training so that he can know the Bible better, be more effective. He's in his first year, and I think he's going to do well. 
Well, last Sunday morning, at about the time he's preaching in Decatur, I get a text on my phone, and the text includes this picture. My friend Carrie, she is in Johnson City, Tennessee. She's up there visiting her daughter and son-in-law. And at the Johnson City Church, there is this lady named Diane who's obeying the gospel. She's being baptized. And the reason Carrie sends me this text is because what they revealed up there that day is this lady Diane had been taught by Jonathan on the Internet. And it's this cool circle because while Jonathan's in Decatur, Alabama, preaching and telling his own story the fruits of some of his other labors being seen in Johnson City, Tennessee. And his story illustrates what the blessing ought to be doing for us. Blessed so much that what we've got to do is find a way to share that. We treasure what we've got so much that we don't try to hide it or keep it or whatever. We treasure it so much that we want to see others be blessed the way we are. I'm thankful that God saw fit to bless us when we really didn't deserve it. And the question is, what will we do with that great blessing? Let's pray together. God, we humbly bow you before you tonight. We love you. We praise you as our creator. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for having that plan even before creation, that plan to bless us with salvation. And we pray tonight as your children, we pray for forgiveness for those times where maybe we lose sight of how truly blessed we are, for those times where we don't take advantage of opportunities that are placed in front of us to share. We're thankful for men like Jonathan who inspire us as they seek to live out your story and share your blessings. So as we leave here tonight, we, we look forward to heaven. And we know that when bad things happen here, it, it, they, they serve to remind us that we're not home yet. But we look forward to that day and we want to be the people who share your son, share that blessing so that others can go with us. We love you. We look forward to being with you forever. We're thankful for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray tonight. Amen. Class dismissed.